Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey everyone, my name is Christian, and welcome back to Throughline, the podcast where we try to find the concept in non-concept albums. Well, that's what we normally do, at least. Today, instead, we have a unique program, as I have the special privilege to interview a band who just put out their debut album yesterday, a band who graciously allowed me access to the music to put together a breakdown of their album to share with all of you next Friday. It's Karma and the Killjoys. Being the first interview for Throughline, and hopefully the first of many, I thought it prudent to lay down a little of the ground rules in terms of my general desire to keep my breakdowns as free of biased or influenced thought as I can possibly muster. And to do so, I've fully written and recorded my entire breakdown released next week prior to this interview. Anything learned here will not influence my read, though it's possible, but not likely I've influenced the band, as they've read my breakdown already. And really, the biggest ground rule of all falls to you. Go listen to the album. Hellscape released yesterday, December 1st, 2022, on all major streaming platforms, as well as for purchase at similar locations. I want you here with open ears and open hearts as we embark on a journey into the musical minds of, in my self-proclaimed professional opinion, one of the most interesting and musically rich indie bands to debut this year. So really, without further ado, and of course, I've been quite known to ado, 
I'm happy to introduce you all to my special guests this week, the band Karma and the Killjoys. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. We're glad to be here. <laughs> Can you all introduce yourselves and let us know your role? Yes. My name is Michael Blunt, and I play guitar in the band. I'm Tim Marshawn, and I play bass. Thomas Verscher, I play drums. I'm Rain Scott Catois. I play piano, and I write and sing. I'm Sydney Myers, and I also write and sing. Awesome. Well, I think I have my biggest burning question of all right here at the beginning. Who is Karma and who are the Killjoys? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Ah. That's classified information. And that you may never know. It's open to interpretation. Still trying to figure it out ourselves. We're actually, we're actually going to need another analysis from you, Christian. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, want, I want a, the papers on my desk in the morning. Well, now with the silliness out of the way, I've always wanted this podcast to be about introducing new music to people who otherwise wouldn't have heard it or tried it. And a massive part of that was getting indie bands in front of people who don't have good recommendation engines for new breakthrough music other than their Discover Weekly or Indie Radio Hour or just local bands. But local bands are often thought of in terms of locations with publicly known musical scenes like Nashville. Now, this is likely just a result of a narrow view of popular musical destinations, but I've never thought of Baton Rouge or Louisiana in the indie rock category. So please prove to me just how wrong I am and tell me a little bit about Baton Rouge and the Louisiana musical scene. That's you're, you not, guys. You're, not total, <laughs> you're not totally wrong. There's, I mean, there's a lot of indie bands, a lot of great bands out of here, but I don't know how many of them maybe received recognition or attention like outside of the area. There's a few that like got out, made it out. But so there's a lot of indie bands, but maybe not many that you have heard of or people have heard of as much. I mean, not specifically Baton Rouge, but right. one of the most famous indie bands is from Louisiana. Neutral Milk Hotel. Mm. That is true. Yeah, Rustin. That's not far from here at all, actually. So yeah. They're it's, there. It's interesting. Like, we exist. We're here. But it's just finding our way to the, the indie stream is the issue. No, I mean, I agree. Like, New Orleans, jazz, blues, all of that is what Baton Rouge we're known blues. for. But Baton Rouge kind of falls to the wayside. There hasn't been any big indie band, I guess. I mean, I know some people that blew up and then they changed names and then they got successful in other avenues, but, you know. I was kind of going to say something along the same lines as Michael is like, I feel like a lot of music in Louisiana gets a little bit overshadowed by the like very cultural music here. And that's wonderful because that's such a unique and wonderful thing that we do have here is like Zydeco and then like blues and jazz in New Orleans and all, all of that like roots music and all of that stuff is like really awesome. But it's kind of funny as an indie band playing a festival you like go to a festival <laughs> yeah. and every band there is like a zydeco or like blues country band and you're playing indie <laughs> music and it's just kind of a funny thing and i think that's both a challenge and something that's like really cool and unique for the experience i guess yeah and so you're really kind of on the ground floor of Baton Rouge indie music. Ish. I mean, I feel like after COVID and all, like the industry itself changed entirely and did a 180. And so everybody's trying to figure it out now and figure out how you make it mm -hmm. long lasting, you know, machine. But, but it's not to say we're on the ground floor in the sense that like there are no other bands that have attempted to do that. Like there's always bands that are, that we'll see at the local show that are fantastic. But to get to that next level, it's tricky. 
especially now with what music has become and streaming and all that stuff. Whole you know, endeavor in itself. It's a whole different animal than it used to be. I mean, it used to be, you know, you get get on the charts and you're gold. Yeah. You know? It's like there's a boundary. There's like at some point you reach a level where stuff starts being out of your control, depending on like what city you're in. Yeah. And you can only kind of get so big. You can only get so around. far oh, yeah. within like Baton Rouge, for example, or a bunch of other cities that don't have a music scene. Used to be what, like you shouldn't expect to get big outside of your city unless you can build a community with Unless them. you, every show you play has a hundred people. You know, yeah. and, like, when your local hometown loves you, that's when you can expect to do well in other cities. Yeah. But it's not even really the case anymore. A lot dictated by the internet and internet exposure. And content and, you know, do you have an active, like, really cool image online versus not, but whose music is, you know, it's just, it's just a different world. Did you make a viral TikTok? Exactly, Yeah. yeah. I feel like a lot of that can, you know, do a lot of good for you, propel you to a different place. But also, like, if, if you're doing all that and, like, the product isn't good, like, your music's not, like, really dope. Yeah. Then you can only go so far with that, even, you know. I'll say for this band, though, I have no role in the social media. And it's great, because then I can just focus on the music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, because it can be. I mean, that, and that's the idea that what it used to be is that you don't, you don't put that role on the musicians because they should be able to focus on the music and that's where the quality music comes about so you know that's where the managers and all these other things come into play but it all gets intertwined nowadays and if you don't have somebody inside the band that's doing the content then you pay for it and you can't pay for it then it just i don't know it's a weird kind of muddy whole new thing that's like necessary now yeah yeah it really is it's important say in the past like decade it's become like the main thing about promotion and everything is your internet online presence yeah but we've just had the we're just an anomaly to be honest with you it's like everything y'all do does really well y'all handle it yourselves it's a good product packaged in a good way so you have to have like both if you're making great music but like you're not doing the things that are necessary to put it in front of other people then it's kind of like yeah you're missing Einstein half of the, the ball closet. game yeah you, know, you can be einstein but if you don't ever leave the closet <laughs> right. nobody knows you're einstein and you're, <laughs> was you in know, so are you saying einstein's gay i, <laughs> I read a couple books <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, also like if you if you're doing the social media thing hardcore and you're doing that really well, but it's like when you go to a show or you listen to the album, it's like lackluster. Then you're kind of also focusing on the wrong things. Absolutely. So you yeah. have to have both. You have to be really right. dope and then present yourself <laughs> really, really dope. dope. The music speaks for itself. <laughs> but even if it does, if you do not have a presence online, you'll fail. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of moral. Just story. way to. I think a key part of that digital presence is a consistent brand identity, especially in today's world. And one of the things I didn't have the time to talk about in the breakdown was your art style. Mm. The cover. The singles, even the logo of the band. Yeah, so (laughs) cool thing here, like when we say everything's done in house, everything is done in house. It's all in house. It's actually kind of insane. So Sydney, when she's not writing (coughs) songs and singing and doing something that's so crucial towards the band, she is also the one who's like literally designing everything we have. All of the stuff that the color palettes. 
Mm-hmm. All the things that match and look good, the album art itself, that all came from her. So I'm gonna let her talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So how do you like, like, what do you do? Like, how do you I, go about it? Goes into a cryogenic for, chamber for three yeah, hours. Literally, you think. <laughs> That's how I act. I'm literally like a mummy when I'm doing it. I tend to like, once I'm in the zone, I'm in the zone because I am very ADHD. But like, I think that helps with, you know, being creative. And I've always wanted to, like, even from like the jump, whenever Rain and I were like, we didn't have the guys in the band and it was just like us doing our little things. I was creating little fake cover arts for all of our little recordings and stuff. I've always been very interested in capturing, I guess, like a song's essence visually. And I Mm. find that like for Hellscape in particular, the best way to do that was like through not mixed media, but like, you know, a collage of sorts, which for the cover art for Hellscape, I took quite a few different clip art pieces that I found off of old, like, I think they're like 30s or 40s ads. I just thought like the idea of these caricatures of, you know, American happiness and American advertisements and like capitalism and stuff really work well when you destroy them a little bit. Mm -hmm. They really capture, I guess, like for me, the essence of Hellscape, which is, you know, the idea that things look really pretty and rosy on the outside, but like everything's falling apart around you. The American dream. kind of. Yeah, the American dream, literally. uh, (laughs) And how it's a lie. How it's <laughs> not just a, not really a lie so much as it is just very very different than what, you, what think you think it is as a kid and I think a lot of like the cover art that I've designed over the last like year or two has been a reflection of that idea for Hellscape specifically I used a lot of those clip art pieces and then also I found a bunch of I think old postcards from the World's Fair in Chicago from like the early 1900s Man, I wish I was there and I know honestly yeah I would love to have been there but that's another I guess commentary on the American dream and the dissolution of that ideal and the crumbling nature of history you know I just wanted to crumbling nature of history put that on the wall (laughs) I'll say though I didn't I didn't even catch this was you had some images for the handful of songs that we released and then the hellscape album itself was a collage of all of those images all in one I didn't even like I had other people tell me this yeah I was like Wait, all of the song, all of the images from the songs are all in the one image, and yeah, I just I don't did. Know. You have your glasses on? I might not have. I might oh, not have, Michael! Yeah. But I had several people tell. Well, one in particular, and it, several people told. Everybody was no. I had several people me. tell me that the the album artwork is fantastic, and one was like, "Dude, I loved how like she took the images from all the singles y'all were releasing, and then made a collage of it." Yeah. yeah so that's that's another thing like we can point out is like the art from our first three singles that we released which are all on the album of course they all focus on kind of like one image and they're taken from those ads and sydney took those and put those into the album and you know for some that's hard to see apparently uh, <laughs> it goes over your head maybe but but no it's a cool thing and we just wanted to make a kind of cohesive style in that way sydney's always yeah. really good about th- making things cohesive and like we wanted the singles to look like the album because the singles for us were never like a single release. They were like the lead up to the album. It was always the lead up to the album. And so we wanted them to match artistically, visually in that way. So mm-hmm. all, the font is the same, you know, like the style of the artwork. It's all cohesive. Those images are the same. And we wanted to make it into a collage because this is where they all come together. This is where those songs come from. This, this is, is where, like, this is like, this is the big mama. This is the big mama. This the is the hellscape. This, this is, is the hellscape. This, yeah. These are all you the components it. of the hellscape. And this is the world that you're jumping into whenever you listen to the album. And yeah. I, I think it, you know, the idea of it being like, 
kind of faded and withered away, almost distressed, is just the perfect encapsulation. I think it worked out really, really well. It's like it an did. amusement park that was run yes. down for 40 years. Yes, absolutely. It's like bright like colors and, and it looks really fun, but actually it's really creepy. Scary. Yeah, creepy if you zoom in, down. like Amelia's crying blood exactly. and stuff. And you're exactly. like, you know, there are a few pieces that I didn't <laughs> add to it that didn't fit, but like I had gone through and like created this whole, I had like at least 20 different other like little parts that I didn't add to it that I'm going to probably save for future albums and stuff. But I really, I tend to get carried away, but I, that's basically how I ended up doing all of the artists. I just got too excited and couldn't put my phone down until I made something. A lot of great art comes from an almost unparalleled obsession. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you gotta be obsessive. What I thought was super interesting about the album cover is it is very indicative of where you are. Louisiana itself is pretty overgrown looking. And there is a lot of architecture that's in the cover and the style itself that draws reference to Louisiana in general. Was that an intentional choice or did that just come about because of the style? No, I just really, really like the color green and I really wanted green t-shirts. If I'm being <laughs> there you have Which it. Which is art. Yeah. There you have it. Now that you're it. saying that, it absolutely does give Louisiana. I didn't even realize it. But yeah, I guess subconsciously because you live here and you live in the middle of all this green all the time. Like it infiltrates. Yep. It almost looks like the state capitol on there, but I know it's not. Yeah, it's a Chicago building, but like it does look like the state capitol. Mm -hmm. Shout out Louisiana's tallest state capitol in the nation. Just let you know. I always think <laughs> that the green, to me, it looks like this like green storm is happening, which I think even more perpetuates the idea of hellscape. hellscape it's yeah. terrifying, but I never thought about it like this till you just said that, but that's also kind of indicative of Louisiana because we're constantly having hurricanes <laughs> and flooding. Right. So, uh, I yeah. I break your heart, though, that those are trees, actually. They're trees? Yeah, they're trees that I I don't, see a, I don't see a trunk. They're trees that I mangled. No, the trunks are hidden. Oh. But it's like a bunch of trees, like, almost in a circle I have, <sighs> like, behind everything. I was going for greenery, but the second you said clouds, I was like, yeah, that's what I meant. Guys, I quit it's the double on time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving. I can't do this anymore. Like, you're yeah. sure clouds. Absolutely. Hell. Constant, constant discoveries made here. <laughs> Clearly, none of us have looked at the art long enough. <laughs> Sydney's offended. Honestly, no. Not at all. Do we see what you want to see? Wrapping back around to an idea that you brought up earlier with Louisiana having a lot of traditional musical styles already kind of established, there are, just as much as the album cover, a lot of old traditional Louisiana musical influences intertwined in your sound. Was this an intentional choice or did it come around naturally like the album, a consequence of living in that environment? Well, I think that's going to be a different answer for everyone who contributed. Mm -hmm. For me, I would absolutely say it's unconscious because I have never really spent a very close time with that sort of music unlike some of the people in this band who like do play that music or have played it before I personally haven't and my parents are <laughs> my parents were like the indie weirdos of their generation so I grew up listening to like that sort of music I, I don't even know but not necessarily what you think of when you think of Louisiana music, I have really no familiarity with that, except what I hear in passing. So any influence that might have had on me was definitely subconscious. 
I mean, I think it's, like, unavoidable to, like, live in Louisiana, especially, like, a gigging musician. Like, if you're playing with a lot of people or playing a lot of different situations, you're gonna, like, be involved with jazz and blues and soul music and stuff. I think a lot of, there's a lot of different influences for everybody in the band, so comes from like their own history playing music and also just like their everyone's interests in various types of music me personally i mean i have played a lot of louisiana music jazz and blues and stuff but i don't really think of that as much when i'm with you know playing a karma show or playing with the band yeah i think like everybody is influenced by what they're surrounded by obviously but that's kind of what I think makes this band interesting is that like rain didn't come from like playing Dr. John. Exactly. Or yeah. or Even though sometimes I'll jazz. hear a little, a little lick here or there that sounds a little, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe like rootsy, like a little bluesy <laughs> here and there. No there's no way we're not in influenced or, you know, there's the musicians we are. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Like a little, a little solo part in Water Under the Bridge when you do yeah. a little piano uh-huh. runs. Yeah. It probably just, it's some there. of that maybe came from your subconscious <laughs> yeah. way back there, just hearing piano around here your whole life. Yeah. So it's just a little bit of the tip, like some of the piano, just like Tin Pan Alley kind of vibe too. Mm-hmm. Just naturally. Yeah. Some of it, like magical like view and stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Just, yeah. that's just stride, like, a, that's more just American stride. piano in general. Yes. Some stride. You play some stride and <laughs> some left hand movement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I think that it really does is what creates our style to some degree. Right. And I didn't even, becoming a, or trying to become a professional musician, I, I began to study these things. But then we also have like Johnny. So like now I started teaching Slim Harpo songs, which is a local Louisiana guy. But Johnny's in charge of all of it. You know, mm-hmm. and like his Slim grave Harper is right. Stuff, yeah. yeah. And like like he was covered by the Rolling Stones and all kind of, Van Morrison, all kind of people. I don't know. Like that, there is yeah. some interconnectivity, I think, with all of that. To some degree, but I think that's why Johnny is drawn towards us a little bit in the sense that it's like we're not doing stuff that's unnatural or inorganic. You know, it's like we're just being ourselves and we're adding this melting pot of everybody's own influences and styles into one room and it is what it is. And not really intentionally. It's just like that's what you naturally do get together with a group of musicians. And like several of us are, you know, gigging musicians. And when you're like playing for hire and you're taking gigs and stuff in Louisiana, you're naturally going to get called for like a gig that's very Louisiana-ish. Um, yeah, you have to learn the material. Exactly. Playing the part becomes what you're hired for, yeah. and not so you, you can't know, avoid it. Like... Right. That experience feels like it's really important to the identity of the band because, in general, at least in my experience, the piano in rock has often been kind of a supplementary element, only really occasionally at the forefront. An afterthought, yeah. so if you will. <laughs> Why you look at me when you said that? No, it, it can Don't be a pretty big part of rock music but typically yeah it's kind of like yeah we've talked about that before and i've that's kind of always something i bring up when people ask me about like the kind of music we write and like i always say when people ask you know they want a straight answer when you say well what kind of music do you play and so that's like the hardest question ever obviously the hardest question (laughs) ever so like i say piano rock But, like, I really only say that because if I say anything else, you don't assume that the piano is really going to be there, I guess. Yeah, and you don't get the full picture. You don't get the full picture. But, obviously, piano rock doesn't... You still don't get necessarily the full picture. You still don't. 
times. I like describing music like on instrumentation a lot because it gives you an idea. Yeah. Like, you know, when you say piano rock, you imagine a rock band with piano. With piano That's as the I center, exactly. as the kind of the focus, I think the it's like, cornerstone of the sound. But also, it's a rock band, so you're imagining drums and guitars and yeah, loud vocals. And so, like the easiest thing is if people don't know what piano rock is, I'm like, okay, well, I hate to do this, but we're kind of we're like we're like Billy Joel, we're like Queen, like, like El- Elton Queen and Apple, but not really because we're not. But, but we're not at the same time. <laughs> yeah. But you have to say that to get people to like know what it is because like it's kind of a niche. Like it really is. Yeah. Like it's the most popular music in the world, but it's not the most popular music in the world right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. In was, history, maybe, in history, maybe very so. popular. Yeah. Right. Singer, songwriter, rock. The amount of people who go, oh yeah, I love Queen, and then they're like still thrown off when they hear like fuzzy yeah. socks and i'm like dude it's really not that far removed from that it's not the only difference is we recorded it in the year 2020 <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but i think labeling it as opposed to indie rock as it yeah being piano rock, indie rock could literally Jesus. mean anything. i know I mean, indie music probably genre mean, it just in means general, independent but like i think maintaining <laughs> this focus like had i come in day one and turned all my pedals on and made this crazy at like and and it took over the piano like that's not what the band is the band yeah. is like a piano song that generally that either started with the rain or sid's lyrics or sit on acoustic guitar and it built from there but like that i think as far as priorities it's the foundation that is what yeah what the band is you know and, and keeping that in mind and not trying to that's kind of the whole purpose of the band is like yeah to, like to knowing like your role for me this has been a big part of the band is like what like, how far out there do I go? Or do I just play the chords? Or do I, you know, support or do... I don't know. It's like, what is my role in the group? And piano rock. And kind of think in the back of your head, piano rock. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. It's just piano is most important. So... It carries the song. For, yeah. so, for most of the songs, yes. Not... I mean, there are songs that guitar leads, though. Like, yeah. higher. Like, we still will yeah, have... Yeah, true. We will yeah. still have songs that are not completely piano-led. But on most of them, on a, if we're looking at it, like, from a... Bird's eye view, yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely it's yeah. a piano rock band, and that's that is the best I can come up with. It's yeah, right. Other than just deep sigh, and it also like is something <laughs> different than what you're normally hearing when people are describing bands and stuff. And that's why I always like to think of it kind of as like piano folk in a way, because uh, yeah. it's it's not the piano, but it's together. It's the piano and the vocals, the lyrics. Because every time yeah. the band, anytime me. Tim and Michael get a song. The demo that we get from the girls is a completely finished song that's piano and lyrics or piano and story. And harmony. And harmony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I kind of like the idea of piano folk. It's it's like this piano rock band, but it's always the lyrics telling a story that's really kind of like the, the, the song. Cream, yeah, the cream of the, the cake. The heart and soul know? of it. Yeah. Well, having experience in other bands or other musical experiences in general, was there any adjusting period to help accentuate that instrument as opposed to another guitar like in typical rock music? Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, it's like tailored to the piano. Like Michael said, like all the parts are there. The whole song is written already, usually when it gets to us, or for the most part. And it's like all of the music kind of like is in the piano part and the vocals. So we're following that as the other members of the band. Yeah, and I don't know, I'll tell my 
my story with Tony. Tony Daigle um, is the man who sound engineered the record. He recorded us and mixed and mastered it. So that's yeah. what, that's who that's Tony who we're Daigle referring at to. Studios, Grammy yeah. Award winning Tony Daigle at Dark Side Studios. Yeah, and he is <laughs> a monster. He's the mad at everything he does. Yeah, he really is wide. He's an incredible producer. So he would rip me a new one sometimes. Uh, well, I got to the the studio for there was one song in particular, and it just didn't work. Like all my parts were too busy. I still have a little bit of resentment towards this, but uh, <laughs> you know, he thought all my parts didn't work, and it was another outside brain that has again like multi Grammy award winning like recording artist. He just didn't think it worked, and so I just had to rewrite stuff. I had to go back weeks later and and with some new parts because it just didn't fit the song and it didn't sit well with piano. For me, that was a tricky thing. It's, and this was early on, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was our first time at Dockside, I believe. And so, like, it, it has absolutely been a learning curve for me. It I had know. to be retailored a little bit. It was too busy. The, it was yeah. too busy. Yeah. And the song itself just needed something, you know, you can call it more simple, but just more fitting Yeah. for what it's, was happening with the song. It's right? always a something. It's a process for us almost every song to figure out how the guitar and the piano are going to complement each other. Especially the guitar, yeah. Because I have the easier job because I, when I like write the piano for the songs, I don't have any of them in my way. I just literally write whatever I want to and then I give it to them and then say, all right, you guys fit your parts around this. So I have the easiest job. But then what we have to do is like in rehearsal, Michael's like, okay, well normally in a rock band, I would be playing what she's playing. So I need to play something else. And whether that's a little lick or like a lead line or maybe it's just chords or maybe it's something super busy and it ha- and it works you know it's always a struggle of or a process gotta really be of, intentional about <laughs> of how how they're gonna complement each other and not be at the same place at the same time clashing um because they very easily could do that these kind of mid-range yeah instruments. they're both mid-range harmonic instruments yeah playing a lot of notes at one time or have the ability to you just have to think differently right and going on off that, I kind of want to single in on a specific song. Amelia was the first single the band put out, but as far as I know, so correct me if I'm wrong, it was also one of the first songs written and performed in the early days of the band. So how did the sound of that song grow into supporting the full band structure? Coming yeah, from so- when it wasn't the full band. Yeah. 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 This, you're right. This is one of our older songs. A few of the other songs on the albums actually are just as old and we played them before the band. So kind of, yeah, it's kind of speaking for all of those. I mean, it's strange because even before we had a full band, I think in my mind, I was always hearing them being accompanied by a full band. And so I was writing the piano parts in a way that I knew didn't stand on its own. And I didn't actually know what the other instruments would be doing because I don't have a strong familiarity with anything other than piano. But I knew that it would be something. And, you know, we did used to play some of these songs. I mean, just a few times played them before we had the guys in the band. So it was just piano and vocals. And it was fine. But I think I was always very unsatisfied with that 
just because I knew that it needed more. And I, I knew that I would need some like really good musicians who understood their instrument very well to be like, y'all are going to take the reins here and kind of like make this grow into something more. But funnily enough, if we're talking about Amelia, I feel like I always knew or wanted it to sound the way it sounds now, which is funny because like whenever I was working on it, <laughs> there was no prospect of that happening. Like we didn't know the boys in the band. Like we didn't know them. We had no prospects of finding them. It was literally just like, I'm trying to write a piano rock song. And in my head, like I heard it like that. And it's really funny because when I first sent the demo to Sydney, she didn't like it. She was like, she was like, okay. I mean, like, or I guess it wasn't that she didn't like it, but she was like, I didn't like it. No, it's not that you didn't like it. You were like, (laughs) she wasn't like, okay. Yeah. yeah, like I could see, I could see this working. And then wasn't it like when it started to actually come together, you were like, okay, this is like really cool or something like that. I remember the first time you sent the chords that you play for the chorus with the Amelia, I was uh-huh. like, wait, this is okay, a banger. That's, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I loved it immediately. But then I think maybe I was a little bit, now that I'm thinking about it, you're right. I was, it was for that one and then also for the captain. Yeah. I was like a little bit like, I don't know how this is working. And then as soon as we had other instruments, it's hard to see it when it's hard to see it. Yeah. And also I've never been in a band before. Like this is my first time. I'm I'm a virgin and, uh, (laughs) or I was a virgin. (laughs) Me as well. I lost my band virginity with this one, but, uh, (laughs) I had no way of knowing how full the song could sound with other instruments. I was, I didn't have the bigger picture in mind for sure. Yeah. And I, I think I definitely, it was harder for me. Like I said, like I'm not versed in other instruments at all. So I would have a hard time thinking of what I wanted. Eventually when we did have the guys in the band I, and I would send them these demos that are just piano and vocals, I'd be like, okay, I want something here. Like something needs to be here. Like maybe the guitar does something, but that's about the extent of how I could <laughs> explain it. And then they'd, they'd have to like take that for, for what it was and be like, all right, well, let me see what I can do with this. And most of the time it was us, me and Sydney not knowing really what we want. And then when we heard it, we us being like, oh yes, that's it. That's it. <laughs> and then they'd be yeah. like, okay, cool. <laughs> so it's a little different now. And I think like with time, like when I write things now, I'm like, I know what should happen here. Yes, it's it's you better know? now. We've like evolved in a way that we kind of understand more. You get an ear for yeah, yeah. It's a skill. We understand more of the process and how things are gonna add to it. And it's still a process, like, you know, but But Amelia just happened to be the perfect, like, I guess pop standard in a way it was for us to like work from the ground up I guess with like adding other instruments on yeah it's a very I don't say like normal song but like it's very like straightforward straightforward it's like a classic pop song it's a classic pop song and it's satirical I'll say that but like like it's it's, (laughs) yeah but you know it's meant to be that caricature of like a classic pop song you know it's that yes and it works so well I remember the first time Thomas sent us uh the drum take Yes. And then I added, and then I went and I used, I think, iMovie and I added Michael's guitar over it and we called it Dramelia Tar. Dramelia Tar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, like, that one and Meant to Play were the two that, like, those were my audition pieces. Yes. (laughs) Audition pieces. It was like, send the video back, please. Let us know (laughs) your work. We had to make sure that y'all were, like, good. (laughs) We're sure, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's where the longevity comes in is like you begin to know yep. how this person writes and how, you know, does Thomas put you learn the a process. double kick drum on every part or not? Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or like what, ha- you know, who kind of writes in these styles and the, the longer you do it. Because there's not one right way to do it and everybody has their own way to like approach something. So you just learn everybody's kind of little tendencies and 
work with a or it speeds better. up the being able to hear it. It speeds up from the, from the bare bones. Yep. It's like she can write it and she can hear now probably better than she could. Okay, yeah. so what Tim would do, what Mike would do, what right. Tom's could do, you yeah, know. Exactly. And there's still the, you know, it's still up in the air, but you can hear it and envision. You've done it before a couple times. Yeah. So. yeah. We had been talking about the beginnings of the band a lot, the roots of the piano and vocal harmonies. But I wanted to get a sense of how the band as a whole kind of came together. Well, Rand and I are both theater performance majors at LSU, and we just so happened to be in one too many classes together and just so happened to become like, you know, inseparable for a little bit and have God, the same music taste. <laughs> yeah. And it just became like this almost insufferable urge to just create with one another because knowing somebody who was like a classically trained musician is not something that like I had ever I, I'd never encountered someone who like could do what she does as well as she does Me and neither. she was like you know we, we should write we should we should make music and then like before you know it like it's I say this a lot but like a lot of the reason why like the band even exists is because like for me I would have never written had I not had like someone like Rain like encouraging me telling me what I was writing was good it's literally adorable yeah yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of sweet actually <laughs> yeah, I know we fed off of each other. Me and Sydney, I think, met each other right when we like needed each other the most. Oh, absolutely. Oh my God. Which is like when right you now. began to Shut write up. your own songs, though. Like, yeah. ish, right? Like, not much before that. You no, just... the same semester. I mean, exactly. Our, we all started writing. Our songs first semester of college is when we both started writing. Man. Yeah, writing songs. Which um, again, I think is a very for me so cool. of our band. For me personally, it was like I played piano, obviously, but I didn't like write anything. I just never, I just never did. I don't know. I was very much intimidated by like being original with things. I would have much rather just read music and learn to play that. And I didn't really have any piano teachers that did that sort of thing. And the few times that mine tried to encourage me to do that, I just said no. And I was like, can we just go back to playing this Mozart Mozart or whatever? (laughs) Um, no. (laughs) And uh, it literally wasn't like until my senior year of high school, right before I graduated that I went to my first like real concert for a band that I liked and that experience alone just lit something in me that I was like oh my god like it was literally life-changing and I was like okay I'm gonna go home and no matter how long it takes me I'm gonna try to write a song just one song and such a weird process because I feel like most people would just like give up on a song that they didn't like but I stuck with it for like months like one one song like literal months and I just kept trying because I hated everything I did I finally like landed on something. And by the time I finished it, it was my first semester of college. And so it was at that point that I like met Sydney and I don't, I don't even know how it happened. It's just all of a sudden we were just like in one of the practice rooms on campus. We just had just way too much time to kill in between classes. Singing. Yeah. yeah. And before I knew it, she was giving me some songs and I was like putting piano behind them and we were singing together. And I mean, yeah, I was like, it was yeah. just, that was it. Yeah. Like, and so a huge launching point between that version of us and the version of us today is meeting our manager. So I worked at KLSU radio, um, which is the college radio station of of LSU and one day I was I was working as a DJ and I get a call and usually the calls are just to like put in requests for music but this call was from Johnny I I didn't know him at the time obviously and he was like hey I'm just calling because I'm interested in finding some really good local Baton Rouge bands do you know of any I'm a music producer and manager and I've been in the industry for like so many years now but I'm looking uh, for Log into Messina. Yeah. Slim Harpo. Or Remember you were talking to your dad and like, have you heard Harpo. this 
Wars guy. Yeah. <laughs> I like was very skeptical at first because I was like, this is some random man claiming to be. You never know. People talk a lot. You never yeah. know. But I saw the opportunity and I was like, I'm not going to give him some other band's name. I'm going to promote I, myself I here. <laughs> when I have this chance, uh-huh. I'm going to be like, oh, you called at the right time, my guy, because I have a band and we write songs. It's only piano and vocals right now, but it's, you know, it's something. And he was like, oh, it's piano. Well, I have a grand piano at my place. Come over and y'all play for me. Also could be sketchy. And so I called my dad, I like made sure. Again, and you never know. Made sure he was legit. But we went over there. He loved our music. I don't know what he saw, but he saw something. I know, and I know what he saw. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly <laughs> I mean, what he saw. But you know what I mean, because we were like just a fraction of what we are now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, but he saw it. He really did. And so he was the one who really helped us come to our fullest thing that we are right now, you know, and that's how we, like Johnny brought in Michael. Johnny knew Michael and brought him in because he was like, I know Michael's a great guitar player and he would fit in really well. Yeah, but he called me and was like, hey, do you happen to know any guitar players? (laughs) Wait, what? And I was like, no way. Like, do you happen to, uh, yes, sir, Mr. Johnny, um, I'll let you know. I'm interested, actually, now that I think about it. (laughs) I'm interested and I'd like to do it. Um, Johnny says, I'll give you a shot. Yeah, but then again, it's COVID. So it's like there was no meeting and it was like, all right, they're going to send you some stuff. Basically, Uh, it all came together after that. You know, everyone knew somebody. I don't know if I ever heard how you got involved. So my, this is also so, so weird, but I have a distant, not really relative that oh was in God, school of music, my step-step uncle. So I called him up and I was like, do you know any drummers? And the only one he sent me was Thomas. And that's all we needed. Yeah. And Thomas was literally First the perfect try. drummer. Yes. Thank perfect you. for this. Thank you guys. Yes, yeah, so it's very interesting. Yeah, so kind interesting. Kind of whirlwind, like just like happenstance kind of, like it was like, all these small things led to the next, which led to this band being a thing. Right. Yeah. We talked a little bit about what happens when the music gets sent to the drums, bass, and guitars. But where does that songwriting process begin? Rain. Well, me and Cindy both <laughs> write songs Cindy. separately. So it's kind of a two different answers. So for me, songs usually start as just words and melody. It's honestly kind of rare that they start with piano. They almost never do. I think maybe I've come up with something on piano and then put that into a song, but like that almost never happens. Now I come up with a feeling I want to convey or a certain story or a certain motif. Yeah. And all my songs are very much led by the feeling of it. What do I want this to feel like? Or what feeling am I trying to portray? So whether the melody or the lyrics come first, that's kind of up in the air. And sometimes they come like in tandem with each other. Oh, so nice when that happens. (laughs) But yeah, so it comes along. Once I have like the words and the melody down, I, I already know how I want the song to feel. And that doesn't always make it extremely easy to come up with the piano parts. Sometimes I know exactly what the piano is supposed to be and sometimes I have no idea, but what always gets me there is like, I know what I want it to feel like. So that always informs the piano parts. You know, sometimes I really struggle with it. It takes me a while because I want it to fit with the melody or what I'm feeling. And sometimes it comes right out the hat, just, just immediate. But once it's said and done, I like to think that the demos definitely lend the boys at least to understand like the general feeling that it's supposed to convey. Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe yeah, that I can mean, speak on it, that. It does though. Like when either Rain or Sydney both have a song that's like pretty much 
all written out, all planned out and kind of finished on their end, at least for me, not as much for Michael on guitar, but I feel like for bass and drums, it's a little bit easier for us to find our parts because we literally just listen to the finished product from Rain or Sydney and just fit in like where we are naturally like going to fit in those parts. Guitar, on the other hand, is way harder for guitar mm-hmm. to find its place. Like bass follows for the most part the left hand of the piano. Yeah. The bass notes okay, of the drum. piano and then drums obviously are kind of just following the rhythm, the feel and the hits and stops and stuff like that. And then guitar kind of just has a little bit more work to do. <laughs> and finding finding it's a out where it fits. Basis. And, yeah, and it depends on the song. Every I will song say when I get one mix and then I get another one from Thomas with drums behind it, it helps significantly. Mm-hmm. Okay, is he doing a halftime feel? Like, the feel and the vibe. And I feel like that's the same thing with you. It's like, y'all can come up with the melody. And then when you write the words or whatever, it's like, then you can envision the what is the vibe of the song? The what vibe. is the atmosphere that we're trying to hit? And you convey that to the next guy. When Thomas puts drums on it, it really does help me figure out what type of part I'm going to do for it, you know? Because mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I don't have that and he puts something different, it could clash or, I don't know, it just helps kind of like clear up in my head the route to take. Where we're going. And then everybody applies their own creativity and it is what it becomes. Like right now, <coughs> answering this question is particularly difficult because a lot of the songs on the album are like kind of older and a lot of like the first things that I ever attempted to write as like an adult, aside from like, you know, like the things that I wrote at like three, four years old that I sang only to my parents. It's different when you're an adult and you've got like actual means to produce and sing something in front of other people and write it down and keep it. And it's, you know, a lot of my first songs were straightforward. They came out in one go. Um, a lot of my songs nowadays are less so. That simple. I notice I've fallen into the trend of like writing the lyrics first lately. I always say that like I like it best when both come at once, but honestly, my better songs are the ones where the lyrics come first and the music comes after. I capture a feeling in a, I guess, a lyrical sense, and then I emphasize that through melody. And because those lyrics are going to suggest a melody, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's, they it's, will. But sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes like they suggest wrong. Well, sometimes yeah. it's super cool when the lyrics imply a melody and you ignore it and go with a different yeah. way because then they seem to counter like contradict each other but which creates some super fun songs yeah like, exactly the captain for example is like, it's really the primary example that we have on the album that i can think of mm-hmm. off the top of my head reading the lyrics gives you one feeling and hearing the song is a completely different one it's a, almost a sarcastic jovial outlook on a very horrible sad thing and i think if i fall into the trap of just grabbing every melody that comes to my head first and using that as the definite, like, finished product for every song that I write, I miss out on a lot of more experimental and more interesting choices I can make. Really cool to make a song that's, like, sounds really happy, like The Captain or something, but it's, like, really sad. Yeah. <laughs> like, because yeah, then like, you're like... Those are my favorites. Your brain doesn't know what to do with it. This is number one album for us. And so we're, we're still a lot of, like... It's I a, couldn't it's give a you a solid a answer for songwriting method because I'm still trying to figure out what it is. Because, like, it's still... Once you realize you can, like, make things and you, like, get this spark to write and to create, like, I just went nuts. I wrote, like, 40 songs in a summer. None of them are good. Like, I'm going to be honest with you, like, maybe three of them are okay. Hey, dude, 
insects lay like 10,000 eggs and only like 10 of them need to live. Exactly. I read something somewhere, I can't remember who said it, but like you should write something every day. You should write and complete something every day because it's a muscle. And even if yeah. it's not any good, at least you did something. Oh, at least you so exercised that muscle. Cohen said this so that true. might be where I got it from because I do love him. But I just need to, you know, kill my darlings more often, I think. We've been talking a lot about melody and flow in specific songs. But one of the most striking features of the album is the fact that despite coming out in 2022, it functionally has two sides, like a vinyl. Words is the slowdown track that fades out the first half, with Keep It To Myself being a punch into the backside. How did you come to find the rhythm of the album? It's peaks and valleys. Good question. Oof. Oh, it was a big argument. Hey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the order. Yeah. Weeks of texting. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was like, we talked about this for way too long. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we couldn't, get, couldn't like, land yeah. on anything. And then, I think a lot of what actually informed some of our choices that we all agreed on was songs that we ended up playing back to back that we liked. Right. For example, just like what you said, words going into Keep It To Myself. We did that live one time and we were like, wait, that's actually really funny. Really funny. And also <laughs> sounds good sonically. Like yeah. it just works. Mm -hmm. And so- Whenever we were coming up with the album order, we were like, okay, we might not know what we're doing, but words should come before Keep It To Myself because it just feels right. It just, just feels right. Just two completely different songs. And I think in my head, like like I always, I don't think I ever say it actually on stage, but it's always like words is such a like kick in the stomach, like emotionally. Like I think everyone after that song kind of wants to go home. It's just so <laughs> devastating that, you know, it's Especially just funny. It's just comedically like like somebody walking up and be like, okay, so who's horny? And then Keep It starts playing, you know, just completely. <laughs> changes the vibe picks you up from where you've just been kicked down by Rihanna's yeah. most devastating so that's kind of like trial and error that that specific it is one. and I feel like there's a few other cases where that's happened because I know that's not the only one there was like a few other moments that we were like okay these two songs fit really well coming back, back, to, back. to back like they work emotionally and sonically speed. Yeah, higher in the higher hellscape, in the hellscape yeah. works Fate emotionally as well. It works emotionally and also like, you know, subject-wise. So a good matters. bit of them came from playing, from playing, playing it live. And realizing what works together, not just sonically, but like lyrically and like story-wise, story -wise, what works together and what kind of needs to be more separate. Very much just trial and error. That's, yeah. that's the overall answer. What makes <laughs> it feel like a progressive story throughout as opposed to like up and down, oh, fast, slow. Another thing I remember bringing up when whenever we were trying to decide was amongst, I guess me and Sydney mainly since like, there are songs like, does this song feel like the beginning, middle, or end of the overall journey? Not necessarily yeah. of like the album, but just like of like an emotional. Where journey, does this like song that, yeah. go in a journey? Where does this song go in a movie? Even? Exactly. Yeah, right. like, is this song if it was a book. Playing in, is this an end credit yeah. song or is this an open credit? Fate is You Love was that. so obviously an opener. Like it's so obviously oh it's God, the beginning yeah. of a journey. Whether that's you know what kind of journey or whose journey, that doesn't really matter. But it's the arc of a story. Where a it fits in the beginning it just feels like the beginning it feels like a beginning and so that that kind of led a lot of of the choices we made as well it's just where does this song feel in That's the journey did you have an overarching sense of a narrative that developed as you were placing these songs in their emotional order honestly no <laughs> No. Honestly, not really. I know that's like really disappointing, probably. Um, <laughs> but like, I think it works itself out over time. I mean, it proves that it's not a concept album, so I picked a good album to cover. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I mean, something that makes it like really difficult to do something like that intentionally is the fact that we have two different songwriters. And 
me and Sydney write separately before it comes together. We don't like write our songs together. So it's not really co-writing. Exactly. Like a song that's mine comes solely from my brain and my emotions, my experience. And a song that Sydney's is hers. And it's incredible that they both work so well on an album together and in a band together. It's Which cool. I think is, yeah, it's actually kind of, kind really of cool, crazy. Because they're different in a lot of ways, but obviously overlap in so many ways. Yeah. And it works really well for this album specifically because a lot of the times when me and Cindy were writing these songs, we were actually in very similar places in life. Yeah. Um, sometimes different, kind of sometimes different times, the same. I feel like. And it was kind of cool that they overlapped in that way. But yeah, it's definitely hard to find a, a through line, if you will. Um, in the moment <laughs> because of that, you know, like we're, we're both going on our own separate journeys and it's cool when they collide and it's cool when they detach, I guess. Well, many of the songs are focused on romance or loss or lack of, but many of them are either differently or simultaneously focused on statements about society. How did this dual nature come about? Um, I think it just has a lot to do with the time period in which these songs were written. You know, like being that Rand and I were like in college and like a lot of these songs were written at like the beginning of that college journey. It's like once you're, it's that experience of like leaving the nest and, you know, like looking for love and looking for connection and looking for, you know, all of these things that you've been taught to expect. And one of those being, I guess, a different world or a different country than what you got with the 2020 pandemic and, you know, subsequent election and stuff. It's like literally the album kind of encapsulates the like I was saying earlier, like the crumbling nature of like your expectations, like the way that like you come into this place as a young adult where you're like expecting love to be one way and then it's a completely different way or it, you know, eludes you entirely. And then same thing with when I wrote Higher, it was just me having taken a history class and being like, oh, damn, none of this is what I was taught in high school. None of this is at all what I thought. I knew things were bad. I didn't know they were this bad. <laughs> right. And then they continued to just get worse, which I think is a really well reflected on uh, Hellscape on 9th Street in particular. Yeah, Hellscape is definitely, I've said this before, it's not about the pandemic by any means, but I did write it during it. So naturally, <laughs> like, it's going to be called. I'm going to say this. I think, like, I think naturally there is an influence of that scenario that, you know, I was writing parts for a band that I had never seen in person. You yeah, know, that's like, the crazy thing is we we this started is, this thing like at that time, in like quarantine, exactly in quarantine. Time. Yeah, yeah, and of course that's gonna bleed through. That's gonna affect yeah. us. Hellscape on Ninth Street is a song where it really is both a hopelessness feeling of my personal life, or I should say the narrator's, the narrator's personal life and experience, <laughs> but also watching the world and other people have a similar experience of just this hopelessness and seeing things crashing down. And whether that's in this personified kind of whimsical way of the song or is very real scary thing, that's kind of what that song is about. And the pandemic obviously had an effect on it. I mean, I was shuttered up in my room going through personal things and also just not being able to go outside and like do things. So it's like, of course, that's going to have an effect on my worldview. It's, it's going to like bring <laughs> I'm sure it brought everybody down to their lowest at some point. So yeah, of course, that, that has an effect. I mean, I would, I would yeah. even go as far as to say that Hellscape, the song feels like the most isolating. Like I, I feel the most alone when I'm listening to that song. 
Mm. Like, it feels very much so, like, rather than exploring, like, the city around you or, like, being, like, actually out in the world, you were more or less, I guess, when riding it in your own head. Right. Just, like, walking the streets of your own mind. It feels very, what is by nature, like, very introspective, but it's, like, it brings me to that place, too, which I don't think, you know, you intended so much, to, like, to really encapsulate, like, the isolation we felt during right. early uh, pandemic That just bled days, through. That bled, it's it like, bled through. Yeah, it's like when you write a song, like, about a relationship or something, but you're not necessarily like in that relationship but like your relationships have colored what you're writing yes right yes, now. Yes. like you might not be writing exactly about what you're going through but naturally your experiences color it. i found a lot of themes of endurance in that song as well though not just isolation yeah i think those were definitely intentional you know you don't want to get <coughs> lost in all of the like darkness oh, and no, stuff oh, yeah. you want to have that light at the end of the tunnel even if it's reluctant and it's like all right i'll give in to this you know stupid like hopeful joyful feeling even though i know it probably won't last and you're really pissed about it but it's like i'm gonna like look for it anyway because that's the only thing i have right now <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna look for it anyway i think that's a, one of the cool things about our songs is like even you know if you had to pick the most dark or depressing <laughs> or sad it's still not really that sad or dark or like yeah blatantly I'm in a depressive state. And I think that's the collaboration aspect that kind of makes this very like tangible thing for a bunch of different demographics mm -hmm. is that, you know, you can listen to the lyrics and feel sad, but feel comforted by that. But then the music, you know, like the hellscape chord progression is not minor in any way. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's like a, you could put... It's kind of groovy. Yeah, you could put the happiest lyrics behind that and yeah. it would be a different thing. But yeah, I think like all of these things kind of add to our element or our character. Yeah. In some way, shape, Definitely. Or and I think not every song has this and not every song we write has this, but I do think it's true for Hellscape on 9th Street and I think it's true for like multiple of our songs is that there's a mini journey within the song itself as well. I didn't want for Hellscape on 9th Street to be one version of this person, like one point of view. I didn't want it to be one perspective of just hopelessness and nothing. There's like a mini journey within there. It's the discovery of the hopelessness, finding maybe like humor in it, and then, you know, feeling rebelliousness at that, and then finding hopefulness despite all of it because of maybe that rebelliousness. Something like that, you know, like a mini journey within it. Yeah. I think Even that meant happens. Even to play. Meant to play is like- Yeah, absolutely. Of course, meant to play is super happy sounding. Mm -hmm. Sonically. You know, yeah. but so and it also has that. it also has a mini journey within it as well because exactly. it's not just oh my god like I'm just heartbroken that's it it's not because it's a reflection on why do I feel that way yeah I can't really justify this because this person that I'm angry at is wonderful and like yeah. all this stuff and it's finding you know it's it's more than I, I mean I well feel like that. I feel like we're nothing not a band of sobering afterthoughts you know it's like mm -hmm. you find yourself in the midst of all this like colossal emotion you know and you're thrown this way and that and I think I love to encapsulate that that music because a lot of times like there's no other place for that kind of emotion to go is other than yeah. into your art and into your writing you know like for a mental place specifically like the last part i didn't write until two weeks later yeah. actually i remember that the other day i was like wait i didn't even write that part until like way oh, after the fact yeah so even more so it's yeah. an afterthought and, and i was like it's like hindsight you know? literally yeah. it's and hard I, to write like when you're in the thing you're oh, going oh through the absolutely. thing it's way easier to write it once you've gone through it and yes. you're looking back at it because then you don't feel like there are any words that'll properly like convey like the gravity of the emotion that you're yeah. feeling yeah it's like nothing feels 
big enough mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. what you're feeling. It's interesting. Yeah, there's quite an exploration of different themes that kind of evolve throughout the music. But as we were talking about, Hellscape and Higher specifically are pretty pointed pretty much saying that things in the world are not so great a lot of the time. There's a rise of individuals who claim that politics or statements about society should stay in that realm, that entertainment, including music, movies, etc., should avoid these topics. How do you feel about including and dissecting difficult conversations in music, especially in context to what you were talking about in terms of developing a journey for the listener and the character to go through? I mean, I think there's some truth, and I don't actually completely disagree with that statement at all, that politics should stay out of music. I mean, I think, you know, you see these little TikTok political songs and they're like so nauseatingly like oversimplified and like pointed that you're like, okay, maybe we should let people who are good at talking about these kind of things talk about them and we should not you know let it take over art and make things corny like you draw a very fine line especially with like today like I feel like two three years ago the world was still like you know you know politics are everything but especially in the last year politics are inescapable and I think that will probably like influence a lot of people's opinions on music written right now you know in years to come is like was it too much did we have too many people saying the same thing just in different keys? Whereas like <laughs> you get artists like Bob Dylan who were like, you know, pioneers of their day, like say 50s, you know, years ago or so. Like it was a very different time. You know, there weren't many people seeing very pointedly or at least not, you know, with his scale of influence. But I would say for hire, I didn't intend for it to be the anthem that it became. I was also maybe 19 when I wrote it. That one was more of a personal, like, screw you to my parents than anything else. Then it was meant to be like a call to arms of any kind. You know, it was a very much so like, you know, the lyric, who raised the generation you ran and raved about today. You know, it's like this idea that like, you know, you hate who I am so much. You hate who my generation is so much, but you raised us. You made us this way. So deal with it, you know? I think music is a great thing because sometimes it can be the form of escapism you need. Maybe you are just so tired of the oversaturated media with, like Sydney was saying, like politics are inescapable. <laughs> like, And so I think sometimes music can be that place for you that you can go to and find something better or different or just completely forget about it. But at the same time, history speaks for itself. Art is the thing that changes history. Art is the thing that changes people and moves people to make change within politics and stuff. Or gets them through it, yeah. Or gets them through it. And it's all connected. It's all a part of us. Art is how we can sometimes experience the things that are happening in Mm -hmm. politics and happening to us in the real world. And that's how you get Mm -hmm. through it or understand it. And I mean, these songs are going to be a staple of their time, you know, like you're going to look at if somebody listens to this album 10, 15 years from now, they'll see that it came out in 2022, right after the (laughs) pandemic, right after certain presidencies, right after a lot of different things that have happened in the world. And it's going to be like, okay, well, that was probably influenced by that. (laughs) Or maybe this is very pointedly talking about this specific thing because that was happening during this time. And it's kind of cool. It's like a little time capsule. (laughs) I mean, mine's literally hires unavoidably about Trump. Absolutely. Oh my, I literally, I could not have, I could not have made it more on the nose. Literally the opening lyric of the freaking chorus is, nothing really seems that That great great. to me. Wow, Sydney. Very well put. (laughs) Swore to make it Very well put. You got it. Nobody's really going to get that. What they're going to get is they're going to get, this is these artists expressing, pointing at the political 
atmosphere or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. environment of the time, will. you know, and whether it be negative or not, it's explaining it from the human experience. And I think that's what we do well with is like, like that wasn't blatantly yeah. obvious to me. I've been playing that song for really? years. <laughs> that song was about Trump. I had no idea. You know, so like. You also didn't know that the artwork hinting. was the singles. Yeah. I don't know yeah. a lot of things. I don't know, Michael. I just play guitar. <laughs> I just play guitar. <laughs> Oh my god. That's the but sound clip. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, it's like we have the opportunity to express the human experience and the political atmosphere through music and I think it's yeah. a beautiful thing and yeah. I think we do it very well. I mean most pieces of art in general are period pieces. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Yeah. Cuz again, you cannot It's not real like, or organic if it's not. You, you can't write like, something without if it. If you being. make something up. But when you try to you. when you try to speak from a perspective that isn't yours and like be the voice to, a, you know, a group of people that you are not part of I think it's a very slippery slope I think when you're writing even if you do have like political undertones make sure it's still about you it's still it's still and you're not say you know like screw you Trump you know like (laughs) Trump you're oppressing you did it in your way yeah you're oppressing you're oppressing my people it's like no I'm a white woman I'm a lot of Trump's policies did not really affect me personally but they affected people that I cared about and I think you know a lot of the best art a lot of the best like political pieces are just written from the perspective of the artist themselves and what their individual like day-to-day is like and how it is affected by the climate around them i think if it's very on the surface it's kind of not good if you have to dig for it yeah. a little bit then that's fun yeah. it's kind that's of fun. and it's kind of like lame to just come out and say it. yeah just come out and well, say because again it, well, then, in art then it we are this band we are the protest band <laughs> <It's not laughs> right. we are just like a band and we have these feelings about certain things. we're so. undergoing we're just the people. same stuff yeah. that everybody in the world is undergoing exactly. and we're expressing yeah we're not a protest band yet not, not a protest band yet I mean unless you search for it you got a couple of rage <laughs> a couple more tragedies in this nation we might become one a couple more rage against machine yeah, no. covers we'll be absolutely right. yeah. one of the most important things that I try to explore in this podcast is how my own interpretation colors the things that I'm viewing because the podcast is meant as a jumping off point for other people to explore things they otherwise wouldn't have tried to explore so it leaving room for interpretation allows people to include themselves in the music in a way, derive something from the music that works for them. It's important. Exactly. I think it's it's extremely important, especially from a musical standpoint, is that like there is an ambiguousness to it. It's what art is. Like the painter, like everybody that looks at the painting takes it in a different way. Yeah, dude, what's Lisa smiling about? But if it says like, no more Trump in red letters on a white canvas, well, obviously that's what you were trying to do. And there's only one way to interpret right, that. It can't and be that you way. Like it it or cannot not. be that way. And that's not, I'm not saying an artist can't have a perspective or a scope that they're hitting towards, but it's I think it's not. If someone comes up to you and tells you like this song meant this to them and they interpret it this way, like you're not going to sit there and say, well, actually I meant this with my song. <laughs> like yeah, you're going to be I mean, glad that they took it to a certain idea. personal level that yeah. they related to it in their way. Absolutely. And if it's not a personal experience for the listener, then it's not a good experience for the listener. Like, as long as it made them feel something. Yeah, as long as it made them feel something, like I'm satisfied. Well, if we're talking personally, just a, a fun little tidbit. What would you say your favorite song on the album is? Ooh. Oh, I can't answer that question. I, I, there, it's impossible Gun for to me my to head, answer no that answer. question personally. The boys, y'all have to answer because y'all don't have the bias of like, 
songs that you wrote. Yeah, but I can't. I can't pick a favorite. <laughs> I just can't personally. I know. Like, and I like different ones for different reasons. Some I like playing even more than others. Some I like for the story and the message more than others. Some I like for the lyrics and melody. I don't know. I couldn't. I, I mean, to this day, I, I'd be here all day trying to pick a favorite. Meant to play. That's your like, favorite. Yeah, one of them. Yeah. It's very obvious which one is my favorite based on the cover art. Like, I mean, I'm the one who pushed for Hellscape to be the name of the album. She did. I was yeah. like, please. That's <laughs> certainly one of my favorites, too. So, but yeah, also, Hellscape's Meant to Play is one of my favorites. My yeah. absolute favorite to play, and this bleeds into being like one of my favorites, is Keep It to Myself. From the start, yeah, like, super fun to play. playing it, I I have the most fun playing that song. Awesome song you guys too. really took the like internalized like chaos that I like had when I wrote that song and made it like very palpable. Like it is it bleeds through chaos. The track. Yeah. No, it's, and that's why it's Perfect. fun to play. Excuse us while we all build each other up and I definitely have some right favorites now. that are like in terms of just the drum groove I get to play. I, I've been yeah, in I've been in other original bands since I was 15, and those three songs I've never had the opportunity to play grooves in that style in any of the other bands I've played with. So right. those to me have been really fun, just especially Hellscape, that slower kind of like it almost kind of has like a Ringo Starr slower Beatles feel to mm -hmm. it because it's it's a yeah. straight it's a straight rhythm, but it's kind of swung a little bit, yeah. Yeah. especially when it gets to the piano solo, it starts to swing a little bit. And I know right before we went to Dockside and recorded, I listened for the first time through all of the Beatles discography and I realized like, man, the drummer, Ringo, he really plays simple beats, but they're also like perfect for the songs. And we're listening to that right before I went into the studio. Imagine if you hadn't. I know, right? It'd be, be very different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, going going in, I know, yeah, playing double bass and sugar <laughs> on some of the songs wouldn't really fit, I don't think. So being able to listen to that and then go into the studio with kind of a playing to the song mindset and then really finding some cool grooves that fit the songs, not necessarily just playing a beat, but playing the song on the drums. Mm -hmm. I think because of that, my favorite songs to play are Meant to Play, Keep It to Myself, and Hellscape. Tim? Dude, honestly, I really like playing words. Shut up! You know, I play like six notes in it. As the Is that why? Player. No, but I just like, <laughs> oh, I'm just like kind of orchestral, even though we don't have strings on it it's just like I think well, the original bass was tracked bass. upright bass so yeah that's why it has that feel yeah it was, up, it was oh, upright bass and it was bowed yeah, yeah. yeah so, shout out right. to matt hawkins yes i like the ones with like really good story and hook stuff mm. like those are my favorite to play just because they feel the best to play and they're just like satisfying to listen to yeah but dude that's that's a cop-out because i i really don't have like <laughs> i don't have a favorite it's like it's okay i can't okay. choose yeah it's hard higher is also really fun higher is fun Wait, at this point we've named 75 percent of the album you know <laughs> yeah, like sorry so i i guess that's a good problem to have like, yeah i, I can't guess choose it's a, good a, thing. a favorite if any of them were missing then like a huge chunk of the album would be missing yeah. And they're all different from each other, which is like the best thing in the world. Like for us not to have a bunch of songs that sound the same. Yeah. They all sound vastly different from each other. Like that's just like the best ever. And then it makes it hard to choose a favorite. Well, I think I'll throw out a curveball here. I think my favorite on the album is Fuzzy Socks. Yeah. See, it's, it was just overlooked <laughs> because it was one of the singles. Yeah. Like, yeah. like we didn't yeah, bring up Amelia songs, or yeah. Fuzzy Socks because it's just like, you know, it's expected. No, Fuzzy's got the journey, man. For, oh, Fuzzy's like, I remember being obsessed with it whenever rain first like played it for us i was like rain i have this idea for the harmonies that i had this whole like little story that i made up to go with it she did yeah i was like a psychopath about it it's, <laughs> it's 
you know, in my opinion, one of the greatest songs I think I've heard in like this part of my life. If in total- <laughs> yeah, and my, and Michael, you actually helped out with the chorus for that song because originally at the beginning of the chorus, it goes into that that slower halftime feel and then goes mm-hmm. back to the double time feel. And mm-hmm. originally, when I was playing the drum part, I, I kept it like like the faster beat. And Michael was like, "That kind of feels like a halftime part." And I was like, my brain just went boosh. I was like, yes, <laughs> you're right. It is. And, and it, it changed it because it yeah. made it feel all the more like yeah, epic made, makes, and like yeah. like this discovery that happens during yeah, the chorus, especially the second chorus when you guys are singing the harmonies yes. on it. Then it then it really really like it it's explosive. Yeah, I hate to sound like an actor, but like you know moments. Anyway. Anyway. That song really is like I didn't know what to write for the end part, and that's where the solo kind of came yeah. out. No, like, I'm not even I kidding. Like, I guess I'll work the nasty solo, solo section. Michael's <laughs> guitar solo. On I wish socks. I was, yeah, no, I wish I was exaggerating when I said that the first time I heard it, I fell to my knees. Unreal. Yeah, Unreal. I was, it's incredible. Unreal. I ascended. It's perfect. It fits like I don't understand it's how incredible. you it like, fits get so it. Well. That was still it early feels... on, and I will say like that was one of the ones. It was like I sent it to you first. And yeah. it was like, if you hate it, let me know. I'll change everything. But it feels exactly like <laughs> yeah. how the song feels. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so But fitting. it's not what anyone else would have done. No. Nope. It's so you, Michael. And it's great. And it's great, too. Like, Rain and I always talk about when we're listening, like, the way the end of the solo bleeds into the third chorus. Yes. Because when the third chorus comes in and we're doing, like, the hits, you're still doing the end of the solo. Yep. Yeah, I love that. You're still it's playing It's such a little it. thing, but it makes it yes. so high well, There was no this solo section. Now, it was like after that when you started to be like, guitar solo. Uh, it's like adding a stroke solo to a Regina Spector song. It yes. shouldn't work, but it does. <laughs> oh my God, yes. It's so perfect. You all seem incredibly passionate about the band, about the music, and it feels like you want this to continue. Where do you see the future of Karma and the Killjoys? Touring. Worldwide, international. Making money. Grammy award winning. Shut up. You <laughs> sound so... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> what can I say? Tim's like, got a big hand. Chart topping. Yeah. I mean, I think ideally, I think think all of us are trying to make this a career. I mean, if the stars are aligned and we we're granted any opportunity, I think all of us are going to try to take it. Absolutely. The the most ideal situation would be that we could all do this full time. This is the career. This is the dream. And we can live from it. As any artist yeah, wants, yeah, just making it's living. just being able to live from it well, and yeah, putting on. everything we have into it. I think Rain and I discussed early on, like one of the, one of our main goals as a band is to one day acquire a cheese fridge for a band van, <laughs> which is that's, just a fridge full of just cheese in a van that we're touring in. That felt like that's an important uh, like milestone yeah. to include. <laughs> I do know that, like, I mean, I know you gig. You know, Tim gigs a lot. I do a lot of, and a lot of that stuff is, it's cover gigs. It's, it's like, you know, for hire. It, it's a job. But, but I think are work. from the time I was three years old, my parents would always show me live concert DVDs. I, I grew up watching uh, Fleetwood Mac's live concert, The Dance from 1997. Oh, my dad would always play Rolling Stones documentaries and live concerts and The Who. The Who was actually the band that made me want to do it. Keith Moon on the drums. And I think I've always thought that I was going to have a a career in music, but if it can be a career where it is music that we are writing ourselves and we are playing ourselves, that is the ultimate goal. Yep. And if you can live from that, live off of that, like putting the music in front of like as many people as possible. 
Yeah. Yeah. So. I think all of us are completely so invested at this point, mm-hmm. emotionally, <laughs> monetarily, time wise. No, but seriously, we're we're all like just completely head heart in the game, just want it to succeed and want to yep. do it for as long as we possibly because, can. Because we think that it can. This has the ability more than in almost anything I've been a part of. It's just like this concoction of all the right ingredients yeah. that could spiral, yeah. you know? And we're just, we're all passionate. It's just the dedication. So we're all just trying to keep it going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We just got to be dedicated Trying to feed the to fire and not let it go out. Yeah, yeah. because not everyone... <laughs> it ain't going out anytime soon. No, it ain't. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, Too much. I also have always really loved the idea, because I've had a lot of great mentors in music, and I also love the idea yeah. of being able to, like, pass that torch off to other people in later years. The idea of, like, you know, if our band was able to become more successful on maybe a larger regional scale or national or even international level, like, I would love to be able to help out other musician friends I know to do the same thing. You know, if you kind of learn the ins and outs of that business and just you get those experiences, also being able to, like, share those with other people that you know are equally talented and equally passionate about their craft as well. Oh, yeah, and to turn a spotlight on Baton Rouge and maybe make it a music city. Yes. Maybe give other people, like, if we can get any kind of, like, say, like, large level of recognition, I would immediately (coughs) want to turn that back on to all the other bands here. It's such a musical place, but not always showcasing all the music that's in it. Yeah, it's not, you know, marketed as one. I mean, recently it is, but, like... In certain ways, in certain historical contexts, it really is. But like, there's so many bands in this area that don't get the recognition that maybe they should have because mm-hmm. there's a ton of great bands. Oh geez, my god! Yeah. Just foster original music right well now. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like there's so incredible many bands musicians in Rouge that are incredible. Just not as much uh, attention drawn to. It's like top tier, world or could yeah. be world or now, yeah. but plenty like of the, fantastic music. The industry itself does not lend towards original music. Baton Rouge is a college town. It's you know dominated by. Football. I hate to say football. football. It's dominated football. by football. And it if you could play the tailgate or if you can play the Tigerland bars, a bunch cover of cover bands. songs, then it's you were then you were set. And unfortunately, we're not much of a cover band. And same for a lot of like our friends, like they're not in cover bands. They want to write, they want to create, and they want to make things that they're that are their own. And I think we're just not in a city that like uh, lends a hand to those kinds of artists the way that I would like it to. So if the music can even bring some attention to that, that's even better. Yeah, yeah. and foster and like create an environment that's more accepting and more like uh, embracing of you know original artists. It's really funny to me that you brought that up organically because this podcast has always been about trying to explore new music and grant new perspectives. I've explored genres I've never explored before, but literally the last question that I have written is if you could make a wish and see any one band achieve breakout public adoring success other than yourselves, of course, who would you make the wish for? That's really hard because there's so many great bands and all of them are like some of our friends to some degree. So it it would be hard to like exclude anyone by by saying one band. I'm going to say either Quarks or Baby in the 90s. Like those are the two from around here that I listen to the most. We have to shout out like Thomas and Michaels both have separate other projects. So Quarks is amazing and Favorite Friend is also amazing. But Baby Baby in the 90s. Baby in the 90s. Baby in the 90s make me weep. 
Yeah, they're great. God, they're good. There's really a lot of bands that deserve so much recognition. And that's the kind of the shame, like going back to like packaging and stuff. It's like so much of the game is packaging and image and, you know, presenting yourself in a way and presenting your music in a way. And maybe some bands have a great musical product. Don't have don't, the means. Don't to, maybe have the means to, to, also to package a, themselves in like a certain a way. Fantastic media presence and have fantastic music. And it just didn't work out. <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah. So whatever reason this band yeah, is doing it, but I've been there, right? It's like yeah. sometimes it just doesn't work out. Partially, maybe in the nineties, like they were great. We have to stuff. thank Sydney for is like packaging the image and the brand and the and the look in a certain way. It's tied into how the music sounds and feels. It could have made me just the most annoying <sighs> bandmate ever, but I managed to make like my obsessive nature into like a very beneficial. Thing. She, she wears many hats. Many hats. I think my my favorite it, local it, band I would go to see live consistently. My personal favorite band was always Loudness War. Oh my yes, gosh, they're yes. so good. Um, I they about them. they released an album in 2019, and I told those guys in person that I love their music a lot. <laughs> Hopefully, it didn't come off too uh, too creepy. <laughs> no, I, mean, I love like, your music. I had friends. by the way that I tell you I love your music, but that's number one tied in with four other bands too. You just get to know different musicians who are parts of different bands and different situations and you kind of connect all the dots and see this person's playing with this band they're an incredible musician they they play in this band and also this band and it's like an interconnected scene that doesn't get a lot of recognition outside of it but i think the people within the community appreciate like all these musicians like a lot yeah i think we keep each other going yeah hopefully. yeah like most of the people you see at, like local band shows are other like local artists the like, community like supports itself in a way that i don't think you'll see in many other i know more it's so cities. beautiful like it's awesome yeah. everybody supports each other here like yeah. every independent band like supports the other band gets tries to get the other bands on the bill <laughs> and like promote their music everybody's super yeah supportive and inclusive around around baton rouge especially independent music it's amazing really really cool well i absolutely wish you all the best and i just wanted to thank you all so much for joining me it's been an absolute blast thank you so much much for having us this is great you can check out hellscape karma and the killjoys debut album wherever you stream or purchase it right now wherever digital music is purchased a fantastic first outing by a band out of baton rouge louisiana it's been my privilege to talk to all of them here today, as well as provide all of you the chance to see what I thought about the album's meaning next week on Throughline. Until then, I wish you all a fantastic week. Be kind to each other and fight for what's right. We owe that much to ourselves and our future. Thanks so much for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 